0: Aloha. This is Kelly McHugh-White with the Public Art Podcast, just here to introduce our second episode featuring steel sculptress Jessica Bodner, um, who creates woven steel vessel forms that are reminiscent of archaeological artifacts. She created our January 2020 Hinai sculpture that was living at Kipuka Square in the middle of Wailuku town for about a year and has since been transported to Haleho Ike Ike at the Bailey House Museum, um, where it will live until we find its next public art installation space. Jessica is just an absolute professional. She's been doing this work in the public art realm for over 30 years. She works with very large projects um, that are very creative placemaking based. That is, she's working with engineers and architects and developers and revitalization organizations. um, And has just been such an absolute pleasure to meet, to work with, and to get to know I hope you enjoy this uh, chat with Jessica. Yay, here we are with Jessica Bodner. And Jessica, where are we speaking to you today?
1: Hello, Kelly. And today um, we're speaking to me in beautiful Paradise Valley, Montana, the other paradise besides Maui. Yeah. Uh, A whole different landscape it's dry it's not tropical Um, it's a nice change it's where I can make um, very large scale artworks and public art happen um, with access to materials that are kind of difficult to get on Maui yeah
0: and you've split your time between Montana and Hawaii for a number of years now yeah so you kind of consider yourself a resident of both places
1: that's correct and it's difficult when um you know explaining that i really do feel a connection to both places because we spend some years um seven or eight months in maui some years seven or eight months in montana last year um it was eight months in montana just because of covid um, i installed the hinati sculpture in uh, uh kipuku square is that correct Puka, and yeah. next to the EO Theater and that I think that was on uh, January 1st I and was then, trying
0: to remember if that was New Year's Eve of 2019 or New Year's Day of 2020 yeah I think it was it, New Year's Day
1: I think it was New Year's Day and it was just wonderful um, fun to install really easy uh, so we went on a little trip to the mainland we thought it was going to be a couple of weeks right and visited my folks and stuff. Um and then COVID hit and we were in Mont we found ourselves in Montana and not being able to travel back home to Maui, which it's cold in Montana in the winter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who would have thunk it?
1: Yeah, who would have thunk that? There was snow on the ground. I was like, what's this white stuff? We don't have this in Maui.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> mean Sam. I love following your Instagram because I love seeing your out you know your public art sculptures in these exquisite gigantic open spaces with mountainous backgrounds. It's such an awesome contrast to the work that we see of yours here Um, in Wailuku Town the piece the Hinai piece which we'll talk about in a little bit but as an artist that must be so fulfilling for you to have these really contrasting backdrops and places where your work lives.
1: Well it certainly keeps it exciting and i have a um i just the connection to both places is so strong that when i'm in maui i'm in maui and i'm so inspired by everything there and when i'm in montana i'm in montana inspired by everything here but in the back of my mind i'm always in both places and because it's just so inspiring and intense the landscape of both places it's it's um Tiring almost because of the grandeur how do i make a piece that can stand up to that kind of grandeur and beauty as there is in montana and maui i mean they're both stunning it's it's a it's a an interesting thing to i'm not trying to compete with nature (laughs) in fact nature kind of dictates my work so you know that's what um That's what brings me to these beautiful places. And I'm very fortunate and very thankful to be in these two wonderful places in my life. And yeah. I
0: think that's a perfect segue actually when you said nature really dictates your artistry because the the piece that you created for Small Town Big Art is a Hina'i or traditional fish basket, which is a woven form. Um, I'd love for you to kind of explain in your own words, what drew you to recreating an, or an impression of a Hina'i and kind of how that fits with your artistic style.
1: Well, it, it was actually quite easy because of the, the nature of ancient Hawaiian weaving and basketry. Um, it just, I just started doing a little research when I saw the call um and being a fisherman myself um which is which is really part of the community in hawaii it's it's really a cultural the core of the culture of hawaiian culture is the fishing you get together and you're either fishing in the ocean and with the ancient hawaiians you know the women weren't treated as kindly as modern day hawaiian women um and I I found a, an article about the ancient Hawaiian women and how this was a way for them to participate in the practice of fishing was weaving mal hana'i and catching small bait and and sustenance for while the man, men were out on their canoes hunting for weeks and maybe not home and bringing the big kahuna in um, they had to feed the kids and it was also a way for the women to get together and talk story and and you know, just just really be productive in their community and contribute. And I just love that each one of the Hinais were unique to the person who is making it like a sculpture. So no two are exactly alike. The concept is the fish goes in the basket and can't get out. There's so many different shapes you can make
0: yeah.
1: to create a fish trap. And fish traps are kind of universal around the world in ancient cultures and even modern days, uh, we still use fish traps. Although they're illegal here, you can't use them in Montana, and I believe they're legal in Hawaii unless you were to get a special permit. Interesting. Um, especially that kind of a fish trap because they really go in and they can't get out, they work. In fact, this Tina'i that I created, um, I also found some references and old images of drawings, of huge Hina'is that the men would create, that it would take four men to bring out to the to the fish ponds, and they would catch huge fish inside of these hinaii So there was no limit to the size. Um, and I was astounded. I was like, wow, I didn't realize you could make such a big one. And um, that's how, where I got the idea for the Hinai that I created. And the basketry style, um, just lends itself to my work. I like to use strips of steel, roll them, and weave them together into shapes. Um, so it was a perfect fit, and it was really easy for me to find this inspiration. It, it was just, it was seemed meant to be, so. We talk
0: a lot about this balance between Kane and Wahine energy and small town big art, And it's interesting i i look at what you do which is you're working with fire and steel and like your whole body is getting into this art form and i look at your end result and they have these gorgeous like feminine curvature and really Mm -hmm. light appeal to them i wonder if that's something you know in today's modern society maybe that's not the type of contrast we we would naturally highlight but i do wonder if that's something ha- that strikes you as an artist that really different contrast between the feminine and the, and the masculine that appears in your artwork
1: i really appreciate that you notice that because from the get go as an artist as a wahini artist um being when i when i discovered i wanted to do sculpture which was, I was around 18 um, and took up welding. It was all guys, you know? My instructors were men. Even when I wanted to learn to weld when I was a kid, my grandfather was a, a bridge builder for Chicago Bridge and Iron and an engineer. And he said, you can't do that. That's a, that's a boy's job. Go play with your bo- dolls or play in the garden. You know, why don't you bake a cake? <laughs> so that kind of enraged me. <laughs> but I, I figured out how to do it on my own. Grand, I still love Grandpa, yeah. um, rest his soul. <laughs> he inspired me to to become a sculptor and to work with metal, whether he knows it or not. Yeah. Um, but in, in in college and in my career, I noticed that how they how they teach welding and sculpture, it's a very masculine format. It's very it's eye beams or found objects that are welded together and it's very heavy and you need a crane and you need a lift and you need to you need to make this big heavy obelisk or something that's that's very masculine that they didn't they didn't teach that you could you could be feminine, you could make an elegant line in steel. And and so I took some jewelry classes and it was in the jewelry classes where the women were teaching. Yeah, that I learned all about different metalworking techniques that were very feminine, a lot like the little he baskets, very feminine form woven together. And I thought, well, hey, why can't I just do this and on a larger scale? And um, that's what I've been doing. And and I do want to try and bring a lighter, more feminine drawing kind of approach to my sculpture not that I'm trying to say this, this is a feminine piece or I'm a woman. Look at me. Look at me. I'm a woman making sculpture. There are plenty of great, talented female metal sculptors out there. But the the realm of metal sculpture is pretty heavy duty, pretty masculine. And um, you can even see it in the in the women sculptors. It's it's not that easy to make it that fe- look feminine and light. Um, yeah, but but it's, it's part of my style too. I, I, welding and the metal, it's almost like a palette, like a, like a drawing, or a painter's palette. It's just another use of line. And do shape. you have a
0: background in drawing and painting or other fine arts, or did you dive headfirst into sculpture?
1: Oh, I sure, I have a background in drawing. I think uh-huh. I, have, I took four years of anatomy and um, figure drawing, figure painting, illustration so i can pretty much draw anything i could i could draw a dog i could draw a human Um, i can do anatomical studies of a cadaver or botanical studies um i chose and when i started sculpting i stuck with the figure as well so i was doing figurative sculpture in the beginning um which It was just coming off of what i was learning in college and i went to an art high school for four years an art prep school so i had already learned um the basics of art before i entered college and so i had a head start of everyone else when i got there so when i started sculpture i was able to start with the knowledge of all that figure drawing and years and years and years of figure drawing and um all the art history and um i had a really good understanding of the form, of the human form. And that's what gave me the, um, just the freedom and the the confidence to go, hey, I don't need to do the figure. I'd like to be more abstract and not so figurative or representational um, and be able to express myself through the line and the form in a more modern, abstract, simple way. And that's what I've been doing a lot of years i go back and forth i still draw flowers and people humans i I still do a lot of drawing and painting
0: beautiful yeah and your sketch of the hinai um that you presented to the small town big art team prior to really diving in and getting started on your sculpture is one of my favorite sketches. I am such a process nerd. I really revel in like the sketching and the outline and the rough edges. That's my favorite part of all of these, you know, these paintings and murals and sculptures um and even with the plays you know to kind of hear the concepts and the way that the the dialogue is unraveling i find that to be a really exciting part of the process but i could tell in just looking at your sketch of the hinai that you had a very trained you know fine fine motor skill set and i you know Mm -hmm. I, i never had asked you about your background in the arts um to hear that you are a classically trained artist makes perfect sense and I can remember when I was in art school myself, um, I just wanted to be a good drawer. And it wasn't until many years into my training that I started sculpting, that I became a better painter and a better drawer for it, right? Because it gives you such a different understanding of depth and, and of that curvature. So it really shines through in your beautiful work. And I'm looking, we're not gonna release the video of this conversation, but just when, when Jessica and I first started this conversation, you gave me a tour of all of the beautiful sculptures in your place there, and they are so Jessica Bodner. Every single one of them is such a signature. You, they're gorgeous. <laughs> Thank
1: you. So I, is... didn't show you but I did. I did the furniture too. Quite a bit of furniture in here, tables and such, and um, photographs and paintings. I I built an artist retreat recently in the mountains. It's very remote. Um, we. We drive about an hour from our remote place here in Paradise Valley, Montana, up into the mountains at about 7,000 feet. And I just spent the weekend there. And I I painted, I did three paintings. um, And one of them was botanical um, drawings on uh, wood board of the local wildflowers up there. It's really inspiring. And I think... um, you know having that classically trained background it just allows you the freedom to create in all kinds of um art forms and so yeah. just yeah love my little cabin i go up there just to just to contemplate and think about the world and maybe not think about the world and yeah. then come back to my studio and i've got this great metal shop so today i started working on another sculpture that i've been working on for a year. It will be done in a couple of days. But having that reset in the woods um really reset me in a way that allowed me to come work on that piece. And I know I'm segueing a bit, but um I think it's important for artists to to work on lots lots of different projects, but finish them as well. Really good finished pieces. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my cabin up in the mountains, I made all the all of the work up there. I designed the cabin and it's it's truly an art piece inside and out i'll send you some pictures
0: please i remember getting the tour of your home in kula and right we have the same architect of the of our house yes I think stiller pole homes and I remember just saying to my husband after, we have to go back to Jessica's house. She's built everything. You built the furniture. All of the art is yours. It's like walking into a museum. I was so utterly <laughs> impressed with your surroundings, and I can't Thank imagine you. a more inspiring space to be able to come home to. And it would be beautiful to see pictures of your your cabin retreat.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a whole different um, experience as well, and. Um, I'm making another piece in Maui that's a, a wood piece with um, some locally sourced um, species and it's a really lightweight, airy piece that I'm going to hang in the ceiling and um, I'll show you when it's done. That's for me though, I'm not going, I don't know, everything's for sale if you're an artist. <laughs> you have to be able to let go. Right. <laughs> So I'm finally at the age and the place in my career where I can make some work for myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, please do. I mean, (laughs) i have been curious to hear more about the segue, because this is the Public Art Podcast, and it sounds like you started welding when you were 18, classically trained artist, art high school, art training in college. When did you break more into, well, first of all, did you have a gallery profession? Or were you primarily a commission artist, and how did you then segue into the public art realm?
1: You know that is uh, that's an important question, and which uh, what I how I can answer that is um, yes, I started in galleries, and I think that's a good place to start for any young artist. Um, I did gallery shows, I did installation art, a lot of installation art, um, and just pumped out tons of art and sold it for whatever i could pay the bills yeah um but i believe i always want i was always more interested in making artwork that everyone could see in a public setting or in an architectural setting that that was accessible um it's wonderful to make art and to get paid for it um but sometimes and I'm going to say most of the time your work will go in a private home and no one else will see it. No one will ever enjoy it. And so your your work is not being appreciated um, as much. And and I think I think a, public art is so important um, for kids and adults and older people to reflect on and to to, to it takes you away from all the modern stress and the things going on in life and. Um, it was always in the back of my head and so i had been applying for public art since college i've applied for hundreds and hundreds of projects and all along um i was not getting accepted for these projects but i kept i kept working on the gallery work and then eventually was doing a lot of light sculpture and freestanding sculpture and had some success there got some good reviews had some pieces in in New York get reviewed um, and I got a lot of press, so all of a sudden, people were knocking at my door and wanting my work so that 's kind of when I became a commission artist because i couldn 't keep up, so I hired a bunch of people and that, and for a long time for about i 'm going to say about fifteen years, I had anywhere from four to ten people working for me in my shop in San Francisco um, creating my art and creating multiples of pieces and um, light sculptures that were integrated in architecture or working with um, hospitals hospitality so i've i've really been lucky and got and had the opportunity to work with some talented architects landscape architects um, engineers even to um, incorporate my work into into corporate settings or setting buildings um, where more people were. And that's that was getting close to public art. At least a lot of people were seeing my work and I was getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until the last 10 years that I realized having so much overhead and so many employees was taking away from a bit of that creativity of making new work. So I was making a lot of work that was kind of repetitive, and I wasn't, I wasn't getting the opportunity in my hundred-hour-week schedule to come up with new ideas and new pieces. Yeah. And because I was always trying to finish the next piece or the the ten pieces I had on order, so until I got that done, I, I only had a few hours here and there to work on new work. So, um, actually, downsizing was the best thing I ever did and moving to Montana and Hawaii. My husband had a house there for 35 years, well, now 40 years, um, and that's the Frank Stiller house that you saw. So um, I think it just really opened up a whole new avenue for me. I I had been doing public art pieces that I got accepted for here and there over the years, um, but now I'm really kind of moving in that direction more and just want to focus more on that and more on new work and that way um, that's all i'll be doing is is public art it may be an occasional piece for a homeowner here and there because i do need to pay my bills still of course <laughs> but yeah, um public art doesn't really pay um but it's it's it pays in other ways in so many other ways just culturally the significance of the piece especially when you can make work that's related to the community and um, kind of speaks to the community and the local people of the area where you're making that piece. Um, it makes me feel great. I'm really happy.
0: Uh, perfect segue into back to Hina'i and how your process of selecting a proverb, an Ololo no from Mary Kavena Pukui's book, which ultimately, I I believe you chose, no task is too big when done together by all. Just simply selecting that proverb, and I think we wrote a press release and let the world know that this piece was coming, it attracted Eagle Scout candidate Jonathan Merchant. That's Um, right. He was creating a little free library with his, his Eagle Scout crew at the time and you and I and your husband took a trip over to his family farm to watch them creating those little free libraries and the two of you had a chance to really get to know each other and he became such an awesome part of your project and joined us at the unveiling and um, unveiled his little free libraries and we had contracted Amanda Joy Bowers another small town big art artist who serendipitously had painted a Hina'i a couple of months prior to you creating one out of reclaimed steel. And I'd love to hear from you kind of how you felt about that whole process. I mean, this just came out of nowhere, you know, like you came to the table with this beautiful idea. I know that you and Sissy met and she said she felt like she was meeting a kindred spirit, just felt like you had such a deep spiritual understanding of the responsibility of selecting a proverb. And it just built community overnight. It felt like your spirit and your work brought so many different people together for that unveiling in that first week of uh, the year 2020. And yeah, I'd just love to hear any, anything you'd like to share about that evening or that moment coming together with Jonathan and Amanda and Sissy and this beautiful community that resulted as a, as a, a byproduct of you creating a gorgeous sculpture.
1: Well, I, you know, you're absolutely right. Public art and and the process of public art, you have a responsibility to bring everyone together, and it is it's a, it's a community task. Making public art happen, and you have been, you and Sissy and Erin have been instrumental in creating a public art project on Maui, the first one. It's it's incredible. Um, Used to complain to my husband about there's no public art on maui there's no art everything's so drab and i love wailuku it's just such a great town i got so much history it just you feel the energy there and it it was just serendipitous and some sort of spiritual thing that happened you're right um with this proverb and i think it was just meant to be that jonathan chose the same proverb and that we got to work together on that and it i think it generated even more um interest and more um community involvement with him creating his and his eagle scout troop creating those lovely little free libraries bringing a whole nother aspect and intrigue into the project of getting people to read and you know sharing that I mean Bailuku has a lot of um, people who are homeless and maybe going through a hard time and maybe even they could go pick up a, a book and read something and, and it could just make their day and make them feel better it, because they're going through such hard times um, <clears throat> so many people don't even read or they they don't even see they don't even know what a book looks like anymore with all this technology and I think it was really great that he put this project together with his with his um, Eagle Scout uh, troop. And what a great idea and what a success. It was it was really wonderful. And I get chills up my spine thinking about it. Um, It it was a wonderful ceremony. um, And Amanda did a great job painting those boxes and Mm -hmm. just it's just great. So public art is about community and it is our responsibility to share that with the younger people as well. Yeah. with high school students and kids um and usually with my public art projects in the past i have done some sort of lecture or a class with kids to teach them um a little bit about art or to you know they get away from their daily routine or their school routine and they can do something totally different and i think that's pretty big of jonathan to have thought about that himself and and brought those brought the people together on his family farm and and to make it happen i mean that's what it's about it's people can talk to talk you got to walk the walk i I think he's going to do well in his life i really do
0: oh yeah what a support system he has too with his his mother shelly pellegrino and his grandmother auntie wallet pellegrino they've been such an important part of small town big art Um, So seeing him, as a 16-year-old at the time, come forward and and kind of ask to be part of that process showed such beautiful leadership in our next generation, right? Um, Of, I guess, Wailuku historians, right? We're preserving these stories Mm -hmm. and making history and inspiring other people to get involved. And that is my favorite part of Small Town Big Art is these chance meetings and introductions with other community members that are looking not just to gain something out of the process, but to contribute something to the process, just make that reverberate even louder and further. And we're really seeing such an organic process of community building through this program. Um, In all of the people that have visited your sculpture during the time that it was still at Kipuka, it only lasted there a year and change. I think we need a better base, right? A little bit more of a security system for that gorgeous Mm -hmm. sculpture. So we've moved it to Haleho Ike Ike at the Bailey House Museum or Maui Historical Society um, until we can find a, a more public place to put it. But even with the sculpture at Bailey House, we're hearing from so many people, oh, it's found its home. It's gorgeous there, keep it there. <laughs> so I'm wondering how you feel about its its temporary home at Sissy's property at the Bailey House.
1: Well, Sissy, is like one of those people you meet in life in the world is she's a rare human being that just emanates kindness and knowledge and generosity and she's really a kindred spirit um i can't say enough wonderful things about sissy and what she's doing over there at the bailey house is incredible i love the bailey house and when my husband and I brought the sculpture over there that day. Um, it was a beautiful day and it just, I was almost like the sculpture said, I want to go right there. So it, the sculpture knew where it wanted to go. And when I placed it there, had a few rocks just to make it even, it's, it seemed like it did find its home and I love it there. And if that does end up becoming the sculpture home it's not up to me um I would be thrilled. I think it's a wonderful place. Yeah. I think it it's it's colorful and it it brings meaning to the the area in the back there behind the Bailey House, which has some historical artifacts and some <clears throat> grinding stones and you know it's it just seems to work right there. It looks great. I love it. And I really why
0: did you it. choose, or can you tell me about how you came to choose the color of your Hina'i?
1: So yellow is a, well, favorite color of mine, but also um, a color that uh, it was represent uh, symbolizes royalty, in you know, ancient Hawaiian culture. And so the ali'i were, would wear yellow and yellow feathers and yellow lays, um, and I'm not sure, but I believe they're the only ones that were allowed to wear that kind of yellow. It was a a display of royalty. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed kind of fitting to seeing as um, fishing and the Hina'i were such an integral part of uh, Hawaiian culture and still to this day. um, I think it's it's, it's very important to be kind of royalty, a royal. It's an important it has- subject matter. It looks good.
0: Yeah, it's gorgeous. We're looking forward to watching it continue to patina and kind of change over the years because that's just the inherent uh, behavior of the material that you worked with, right? To-
1: yeah, That's correct. So it's already starting to get a little orange in there and so it will eventually decay and become more of an archaeological uh, artifact in the yeah. future. Um, Not that it's going to fall apart. It should stay together for a long, long time, but it's going to it's it's going to give it a more organic life. It will have a life to it eventually, um, being that it's iron and in a salt air environment, it tends to want to eat away and corrode iron. But it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous um, patina method. It's just I don't have to do anything to it. I can just leave it and it will it will age on its own i did i did touch up a little bit of the areas that were kind of um, marred from the mounting of on that concrete base Um, i do like it better on the ground i think it looks more natural and it's it's not um i liked it on the concrete base but i like it i originally conceived it on the ground so that was that was a nice um move in over to the Bailey House, I I think it looks great. I love One it there.
0: interesting thing about Small Town Big Art, and please shed light as to whether this is something that happens in your other public art programs, is that oftentimes a, the direction of a project will sharply shift, and it throws all of us off of our seat cushions for a minute, and maybe there's a little bit of panic, right? We kind of have to recalibrate, mm-hmm. but once the ultimate conclusion has exposed itself has revealed itself to us we realize that was what was meant to be all along right and sissy is constantly telling me trust the process be patient this mm-hmm. is the way it was supposed to be all along right and i think with your sculpture yeah i know you went down there and kind of had to we secure it to the base. We had a couple of issues of people maybe wanting to borrow the Hina'i Sculpture.
1: <laughs> or they maybe they wanted one. to go get one fish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe they needed to utilize the Hina'i Sculpture. Yeah. So we were a little bummed and we had to move it, but my goodness, what a beautiful outcome. And I yeah. wonder if, yeah, maybe there's some pointers you can give me, like, is this something that happens in other public art programs throughout the nation that you work with? these? these sudden shifts that I just need to get better at leaning into because they're ultimately leading us the right pathway.
1: Well, I think that um, in, so it really depends on where your public art project is going. Um, obviously that location where the Heat and went is in a, a bit of a, a, not dangerous location, but a location where, where some homeless people and people who are maybe coming from the rehab center Um, who are not rehabbed um, have a little party there every night. So that location is iffy for public art projects unless it's really um, like a tiled glued to the surface but even like a mural or anything there could get damaged. You know, it's all location, location, location. So that's always gonna be a tough challenge in in small or large cities. you know, if you're in a rural area where there's you know, you know zero crime or uh, vagrancy, you're probably not going to have as big of a problem. But on Maui, you know, this is an issue. Um, so it's with three dimensional sculpture. It's always an issue with people trying to steal. Yeah. The piece or borrow it. <laughs> right. and, and then, you know, play, people with with two um murals too um people wanting to deface it or getting offended and graffitiing over it i i used to be a muralist too part-time when i was in college and um in san francisco you just can't believe the beautiful murals that are getting destroyed on a daily basis so protect you know thinking in advance how do i protect this mural from someone you know painting over it or scratching into it while well, there are there are really good top coats you can put on murals that somebody can go and spray paint over it and then you can wipe it off yeah. with a thinner um and then sculpture just mounting it properly you know in advance pouring a footing that's made for that sculpture that um can be properly anchored with bolts so that's kind of an important thing with like three-dimensional work um you know Is it a traffic location so can somebody drive into a piece and damage it? Um, So these, you know, these things are always a concern in public art. That's that's really in high, you know, high traffic locations or where a lot of people are Um, and kids. That's always a concern. Yeah. So kids like to climb on things. They like to get their finger, little fingers and stuff. And um, and there's guidelines for um child safety and um the requirements for sculpture for those projects yeah
0: um
1: but you know it yeah it's it's it, it can be very organic i would imagine in most public art projects when i did a, a piece for the Hunters point shipyard um back in 2015 um they had chosen it was such a big project it was a super fun site they had chosen um 15 artists to do pieces there and mine was kind of in the mid-range, but there were several problems with those pieces. There were a, there were a lot of issues that happened. Um, and that's a big city agency. We worked with the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency and uh, the federal government. And so the, the contracting and um, all the requirements and all the codes were, there they were 100-page documents that he, he had to deal with you know into in order to pass your your sculpture piece through and there were still big problems with mine fortunately didn't have any problems in that one so (laughs) and i think my piece was the first one to get installed which was that's how i like to do it i like to i like to make my pieces and get them done and installed on time Um, you'll find that a lot of artists will not get their work done on time
0: oh yeah this is one of the reasons we're right now we're only focused on established or professional artists yeah Um, we get questions from folks wanting to kind of break in or you know folks that are emerging artists that would like to be a part of the program and we're just not there yet right right now we're a program we're not an organization so we don't really have the the ability or the bandwidth to be training um emerging artists and all of the the nuts and bolts of what it takes to create a work of public art, maintain a work of public art, plan it, engage the community. Um, And I just think for someone like you, God, you're such a professional, Jessica. It was such a treat working with you because you have such a long history of doing this type of work. And I wonder if you have, you know, advice that you might share with emerging artists looking to break more into the world of public art it's not just working in a vacuum and in, in a gallery with your idea in your space. So much collaboration has to come with it. And so much you have to have your maintenance plan. And, yeah, I'm wondering if you have other bits of advice that you might be willing to share.
1: Yeah, um, well, the I think the most important thing is um, just basic business training and business practices for artists. So you really need to understand that. Um, whether you're doing a painting or a sculpture or a performance, um, you're selling something. You are, you are providing a service. You're providing a product and you need to stand behind your product. And you need to also understand that when you're doing a commission piece, which is so different than a gallery piece, um, you've got to work with a whole group of people to make that piece become a reality it's not just you it's not just all about you it's about it's about um the end result and product that you're making for and especially for public art um it's it's a meaningful piece that belongs to the community and it's not going to be yours in the end you're giving it away in a way but you're also you, you really need to work with the community the architects the city planners and insurance providers and, um, you know, having the maintenance plan and working with engineers. It's it's a whole process. So getting just a foundation in business practices help you helps you get there. And then doing commission art before delving into public art helps you work with other people on projects that let's say you work with an architect to create a piece in a new, building or a landscape architect who would create a piece in a new park um, you need to work directly with them and with the engineers and that's kind of like segueing into becoming a professional public artist public art is the hardest most difficult um, type of artist you'll want to become because of all of the different facets it's it's not just about making your piece making the piece is the fun part And the other part is fun too, you know, engaging with the public, engaging with people and you meet new people and you get to be a part of a community and your work ends up becoming a part of the landscape of that community and and the language of that community. So so that's my advice. Um, And artists just never get enough business training. That's gonna help them. That's the number one thing you need as an emerging artist in whatever you do. Even in the gallery.
0: (laughs) I'd love to hear about a piece or an experience that you feel most excited about from your many years of creating
1: public artwork. It's always the next piece. (laughs) Perfect answer. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'll tell you just briefly, my next piece is probably going to be a very involved uh, piece that takes several years and it's a public art project for the University of Hawaii, uh, Oahu West Campus. And it's right in front of the building in the big roundabout. So that's a pretty big piece I'm excited about um, that I'm working on. And it will, I can just say that it will have um, a uh, inspiration, again, of Hawaiian culture and have ties to the community. So I'm looking forward to the whole process of making that piece and i'm just in the beginning stages of it so yeah we'll see what happens i
0: think you and i spoke while you were still waiting to hear if you were selected and then we spoke a day or two later and you had been selected and i'm like oh, when can i talk about this i'm so excited <laughs> <with you." laughs> I know. yeah you really so it's it so
1: exciting well. um contracts have been signed and we're just moving forward i have um I'm just very excited about it. It's the calm before the storm, I guess. Um, We'll probably be spending a lot more time in Hawaii uh, for the next four years. And so I'll be also utilizing my studio there to make more smaller pieces and uh, maybe some medium-sized pieces, stuff that I can ship, because I can't really get things on and off the island that are any bigger than the Hinai, for instance.
0: Yeah, and that six feet in diameter. I don't remember. I can't. I can't uh, estimate how tall it was. Do you?
1: I think it's about forty-eight to fifty-two inches in height, something like that. So it's more yeah. of a donut shape.
0: And how long from start to finish? Or did did the process of creating the Hina'i,
1: If you could just walk me through so i got back to maui in september 15th of that year i have this incredible memory and i started working on it immediately i shipped all the supplies over the summer here in montana i i spent quite a few days preparing material cutting it rolling it cleaning it so i prepped it all here i wanted to make it really easy when i got to maui to just start making it and then um shipped it in boxes to maui as soon as i got the boxes then i opened them up i was like a, like they were like christmas presents it was so exciting getting the medal it's just really great when when <laughs> it's like a precious metal really there on maui yeah. so um yeah it, it felt wonderful so i got all the metal out and and i i made a small little model while i was waiting for the metal so that i could kind of um figure out the dimensions and the shapes and and the form that I would create and then I drew out the piece on my metal table and I think it was shortly after sometime the end of September whenever the approval the final approval happened um, I just started getting to work and it was finished I believe wasn't it finished a few weeks before January 1st and then I installed it yeah, I think I called and said it's done. Can we install? Or, or maybe you gave you gave me a choice of dates to install, and I think I picked this. I picked the January one.
0: Yeah, Sometime I mean it was
1: day. Jonathan Merchant and his folks
0: and Lopaca and I. We were so excited to come down and just help. Not that you needed our help lifting it, you know. It, right. Believe it or not, <laughs> it's so lightweight. But we're like, we just want to be there for this moment. We like, the day had come, so I know I have tons of photographs of the day that yeah. you installed it yeah it was a fun day
1: it looks heavier than it is you know and actually it is i think it it is a couple hundred pounds but when you get a lot of people and you're rolling it around it's pretty easy to move
0: yeah right on well you know i think um i think those are my questions if you have anything that you want to share about small town big art or any closing remarks
1: well um, yeah i would just like to thank um you and sissy and aaron for making this all happen for wailuku it's the best thing to happen in Wailuku in years. It's my favorite town in Maui. Um, you're you're really revitalizing the community with all this great art. And it comes at a perfect time when they're doing so much renovation in the town and building a parking garage and all of these improvements. I just look forward to seeing the next generation of artists every year. And I, I wish you all success. and. I'm really thankful to have been a part of it, thank you.
0: Where can people learn more about you and your artwork?
1: Um, I have a website, jessicakbodner.com. Thank you.
0: Beautiful. Well, I'm going to stop recording here, and thank you so much for your time.
1: All right.